Hey guys, you know what this playground could use? A wine country, huh? A redwood forest would be cool. Ski slopes! Wait! Did we just invent California? Discover why California is the ultimate playground at visitcalifornia.com. You don't just live in your home, you live in your neighborhood as well. So when you're shopping for a home, you want to know as much about the area around it as possible. Luckily, Homes.com has got you covered. Each listing features a comprehensive neighborhood guide from local experts. Everything you'd ever want to know about a neighborhood, including the number of homes for sale, transportation, local amenities, cultural attractions, unique qualities, and even things like median lot size and a noise score. Homes.com. We've done your homework. This is Amy Brown from Four Things with Amy Brown. Today, Healthier is happening at CVS Health in more ways than you've ever seen. It's wellness destinations for seniors, including select locations with Oak Street Health and CVS Pharmacy. It's doctors, nurses, pharmacists, and everyone in between offering quality care and support virtually, in person, and on the phone. It's in-home evaluations through Signify Health and meeting mental health needs through Aetna. And those are just a few of the ways that Healthier is happening. To see more, visit cvshealth.com slash healthier happens together. CVS Pharmacy, Oak Street Health, CVS Specialty, Signify Health, and Aetna are part of CVS Health. Eligibility and services vary by location and individual. I'm Alec Baldwin, and you're listening to Here's the Thing. Longtime listeners may know the story of my introduction to the cause of animal rights. I was on a date with a woman who told me that she was a vegetarian. I told her I was too, except I wasn't. Yet. But life works in mysterious ways. Preventing animal suffering has become one of my greatest passions. And nobody was more central to that journey than my guest today. Ingrid Newkirk is the co-founder of People for the Ethical Treatment of Animals, or PETA. It may be America's best-known animal rights organization thanks to its formidable combination of legal sophistication, scientific seriousness, and off-the-wall publicity stunts, like this one, showcasing a young volunteer in downtown Toronto. Folks, right now, I'm looking at an almost naked woman covered in ragu spaghetti sauce. Yes, it must be another PETA protest. Yeah, this is uh, our volunteers nearly naked on a plate to represent that just like us, animals have personalities. They're intelligent. They form families and friendships if given the chance. To understand what drives Ingrid Newkirk, you have to understand something counterintuitive. PETA's focus is on the well-being of individual creatures, not species. Species have come and gone throughout history, Newkirk argues, and that's okay. She would rather see some threatened or domesticated animals go extinct than see members of those species suffering at the hands of hunters or farmers. For some animals, they're better off not being managed and not being conserved because what happens is you reintroduce a species and then you say, okay, now it's reached this level where we can hunt them as if they don't have relationships and as if they as individuals aren't important. It's not about a species. It's about, to me, reducing suffering. And that's the pragmatic part is does it reduce suffering or not? We had a documentary at the Hamptons Film Festival. The film was called Trophy. What is Uh, it? It was the documentary about the South African rhino rancher's name was John Hume, who has the farm in Africa, who's trying 
to save the species. And the way that he saves the species, he calls horns. Yeah, and that's a really thorny one, you know, Alec. It's thorny in a number of ways. I mean, I remember when Prince Philip decided long ago that we should farm spotted leopards so that women like Jackie Kennedy was wearing a, a leopard coat, that they would be farmed rather than we'd go out into the wild and shoot them. But that doesn't take into account the individual animal's suffering. If you're taking the horn off and it's harmless, I'm not sure that that's a problem at all. But we act as if the world is sort of a Disney park. We want some of these, some of those, and some of the others so that they're always there for us to look at and for us to do whatever with. I'm, I'm not so keen on saving the species as saving the individuals. Right. Well, to go back to the origins here of not only myself and my relationship with you and your organization, but your own career, uh, you know, how did this start for you? How? Well, I've always cared about animals. but You grew, I, up, you grew up where? Um, I grew up in two places, in England mostly, a little bit in Europe, but mostly in England. And then when I was seven, we went to India. But... You know, as much as Indians are supposed to care about animals, it's sort of like Christians not cheating on their wives. <laughs> it's right. the same all over the world. There's good and there's bad. But it didn't dawn on me, even though I loved animals, that I was eating them. I was wearing them. I had my first fur coat when I was 19. I thought I looked like the cat's whiskers. What did your dad do? My father was a navigational engineer, so he did war projects. He designed bombing systems. So we would go to India to work on the Indochina War. And I came to America so because he was a military of the contractor. War. Yeah. And he ate his way through the animal kingdom and took me with him. I was like his son. You know, we tried everything. But um, much later, I had been a law enforcement officer. I had seen cruelty to animals on Where factory was that? farms. Maryland. In Montgomery County, Maryland, I was a sheriff. And so I went How out. did that happen? <laughs> because first I started with a humane society, and I thought, I want to know exactly how to prosecute a cruelty case. So I went to the sheriff's office, and they were just hiring their first women. And so I got through the door, much to the resentment of the guys there who thought, these women are never going to be able to do this. And that opened my eyes to cruelty. I went, inspected laboratories, went on factory farms, saw one thing after another, found a squirrel and a fox caught in steel traps some kids had set behind a 7-Eleven. One was alive, one was dead. And so I thought, why haven't I connected these dots? And so I stopped eating animals and I stopped wearing animals and I realized that in experimentation, it's not just a few animals used for these wonderful purposes to save children's lives or something, who are treated with respect. It was lousy, and I found things in those labs that changed me forever in my perspective. And I thought, if I didn't know this, and I care about animals, then there are a lot of people who are just like me. I need to spread this word and then do the homework, find out what people can do instead of this, the, there were scant choices back then, and then helped them make transitions, and that's how it began. And had PETA been started by someone else and you joined a group of people, or you founded it? No, I founded it, and then I roped Alex Pacheco in and, and four where? friends. 
I met him when I was running the DC, what was called then the Dog Pound. It's now all la-dee-da, it's the animal shelter. Right. But I was the pound master. It was an old school pound. Old school pound, and I was the first lay pound master. It had always been a veterinarian. And he came in one day, he had just got off the Sea Shepherd. They had been out looking for the whaling ships, mm. and they had actually sunk one. And um, he said to me... Alex likes trouble. <laughs> yes, well, <laughs> we found out that we're both similar in that way. <laughs> so he said, are you vegetarian? I said, yes, because I had read Peter Singer's book, Animal Liberation. That had changed me. And he said, but why are you putting milk in your tea? I've always put milk in my tea. I'm English, Dad. I'm English. I said, they don't kill the cow. And he said, well, actually... They do. He said, where is this giant retirement home for cows that you think yeah. exist? Yeah. And then, of course, he told me about veal farming being created so we could take the milk. Mastitis. That was that. And then I told yeah. him about animals in laboratories um, because I'd inspected them. And it went from there. We were sort of like Jack Spratt and his wife. We both knew a bit about something. I didn't know anything about whales. And so we thought... Let's put this group together, and he was one of the founding members. And Silver Spring Monkeys, take us through that. Well, that was interesting because back then, no one thought they could do anything about animals in laboratories, even if in their hearts they knew that there was something that was probably horrible going on. So I looked at a list put out by the U.S. Department of Agriculture and chose the nearest one to my apartment where there was a lab that they inspected, supposedly. And um, Alex was a law student at GW. I had a full-time job at the Pound, so I said to him, why don't you wander over there and see if you can get a job? So he wandered over, and they said, no jobs, but we'll take you as a volunteer. And so once he got in, I knew from my law enforcement training how to put a case together, and what he saw was worse than what we had imagined because there were 17 monkeys in small metal cages with broken wires. Many of the monkeys had lost their fingers because the experimenter, who didn't have one minute of medical training, he was a psychologist, had cut open their backs, interfered with their nerves, and had rendered most of their arms useless. He would put them in an electric shock chamber and shock them so that they had to use that what they called diaphragmatic arm. These were blood-splattered, converted refrigerators he had made into basically torture chambers. So we documented it all. We bought Documented in. how? Well, I would hide in the parking <laughs> lot in a big cardboard box. We had Radio Shack walkie-talkies. He had one, I had one, sometimes they worked. And if someone pulled into the parking lot at night, which is when he would go in and take the photographs, I would try to alert him. And after that, we bought in experts. So he was hidden inside. He got his job as a volunteer. Okay, so he right. could wander So he was in. working. No, no. Yeah. Well, what did they tell people they were doing? I mean, were they contractors that somebody was hiring? Who was hiring them? They got lots of grants. And one of their grants was from the National Institutes of Health. But there was no oversight. So the purpose of this deaffrontation experiment with these poor monkeys who'd all been captured in the wild was to see if electroshock would cure stroke victims who had lost the use of their arm. And of course, are you going to electroshock somebody with a stroke who's lost the use of their arm? Also, 
they didn't lose it that way by having nerves cut in their backs. A stroke is completely different, but people were applying for grants for all sorts of fool purposes, and nobody ever tapped them on the shoulder and said, that doesn't sound feasible. They just accepted it. And we did eventually have his grant suspended and then cut off, all the monkeys taken away. They did they survive any of them? Yes, many of them survived. They first went to the National Institutes of Health. Well, actually, they first went to one of our members' basements, and then when we realized the National Institutes of Health was applying pressure to the police and that they were going to be given back to this experimenter, all the monkeys disappeared. They went on a little trip, and we negotiated with the police. The Underground Railroad of Monkeys. Correct. We negotiated with the police, and in return for prosecuting Edward Taub, the monkeys came back. They ended up in another spacious laboratory, in a clean place, not a happy place, and eventually some were retired to the San Diego Zoo. And the person that was prosecuted, the name was? Edward Taub. And what happened? He was found guilty by a jury. He appealed. He went before a judge. And the judge ruled that in the state of Maryland, a federally funded experimenter was exempt from state law. Wow. Is he still alive today, Tao? He is. He hasn't touched an animal since. He's right. at the University of Alabama, and he teaches classes. What kinds of companies are among the rogues gallery here that you think are among the worst in terms of what they've done to animals? The pharmaceutical industry certainly takes a prize there. Uh, we have just actually managed to change a few of the really big ones. You'd, you'd recognize them. but What were they doing, for example? <clears throat> well, testing depression drugs by uh, feeding them to animals, dropping the animals into vats of water with sheer sides, and then just recording how long it took for the animals to stop struggling. The animals obviously think they're going to drown. They're totally panicked. You see them dive to the bottom and look for an escape. And of course, they can't. There isn't one. They claw at the sides of these containers. They can't get what out. What types of animals? Usually hamsters, rats, mice, small animals, small animals. because they're convenient, they're right. cheap, and eventually they'll decapitate them or they'll, uh, they'll freeze them. Um, we have a woman now who is capturing wild songbirds. Birds are very popular in the lab. You never think of that. Why? Um, they're easy to handle, and they're small. And again, that's not a scientific reason to use them. They have almost nothing to do with the human animal's physiology. She captures wild songbirds. We actually found her illegally capturing some, even though she's on a federal grant. She puts electrodes in their heads. She puts them in a, um, a cage, and she does various things to them and just for 40 years has been recording what they do, whether they can tell of the sunlight, whether their song is affected. We have owls being used at Johns Hopkins University in Maryland. In Colorado, we have crows being used. And you think... You know, find something useful that you can do with your lives. Stop torturing animals. We have lungs on a chip. We have organs on a chip. We have whole human DNA on the Internet. You know, you can take uh, slivers of human brain now and grow it in a Petri dish. Right. What are you doing? Right. Uh, tormenting, traumatizing, and eventually killing 
these animals that you've hurt so much? Advances that equal the advances in crash tests, where they would crash test live animals, dogs and pigs. Now, of course, it's dummies and computer modeling and so forth to achieve the same. And are virtually all, at least domestic manufacturers, no more animals live tested. Internationally? Alex, so exciting. Yes, we stopped them all. There is no car company that uses anything but crash test dummies these days. No pigs, no baboons, nobody. Mm. It's all finished. Ingrid Newkirk, one of the founders of PETA. If you're a fan of the organization or just want to know more about the tactics that gained it notoriety, you'll want to listen to my conversation with Dan Matthews. He's PETA's senior vice president for campaigns, the brain behind I'd rather go naked than wear fur, and lots more. One of his biggest successes involved Calvin Klein. It started with a plan to occupy the designer's office. We asked to meet, we asked to show him the evidence, and we never got a call back. So I went to his office uh, and cased the place. I wore all black, so it looked like I might be part of the fashion pack that was there. Made friends with a security guard. Uh, and came back the next day with a dozen other interns, and we went up and took over his office. And we put literature on all the desks. We were screaming, uh, Calvin Klein kills animals. Uh, Somebody spray-painted kills animals beneath the Calvin Klein logo. So I pick up my phone four days later, and it's Calvin Klein's vice president asking if I would come in for a meeting. Flash forward many years, now he and Calvin are good friends. You can get a link to my full interview with Dan Matthews by texting... More PETA to 70101. That's M-O-R-E-P-E-T-A to 70101. Mother's Day is coming, and mom doesn't want flowers. She wants a cocktail. Here's a hint. Get mom Bartesian. It's the countertop cocktail maker that creates your choice of over 60 premium cocktails in less than 30 seconds, each at the touch of a button. Flowers die. Happy hour comes back every day. So get mom the machine that makes amazing cocktails with real fruit juices and craft bitters. Best of all, get $50 off a Bartesian premium cocktail maker with the purchase of one pack of cocktail capsules. So, instead of getting mom a reason to fill a flower vase with water, get mom the easiest, fastest way to fill her glass with the floral notes of gin. The best cocktails are premium cocktails, and the best day to get it for mom is Mother's Day, because you can get $50 off now for a limited time. Visit B-A-R-T-E-S-I-A-N.com backslash mother to get the best premium cocktail maker for mom at the best price for you. Artesian, premium cocktails on demand. Hey guys, you know what this playground could use? A wine country, huh? A redwood forest would be cool. Ski slopes! Wait! Did we just invent California? Discover why California is the ultimate playground at visitcalifornia.com. Are you looking for the perfect move-in ready home this spring season? Now's the time to buy at Fisher Homes. For a limited time only, enjoy below market interest rates starting at 5.375% APR, 6.139% APR. With these exclusive lower rates, you can save hundreds on a move-in ready home and start enjoying the benefits of home ownership even faster. Schedule your personal tour with one of our new home specialists at fisherhomes.com and make this spring the season you find your perfect home sweet home. Financing provided by Victory Mortgage, LLC, NMLS 461249, Equal Housing Lender. Now back with PETA founder Ingrid Newkirk. We all know people who say they love to go vegetarian, but for one thing, taste. Newkirk hears that too. 
but she says it's an old excuse. Times have changed, thank God. Right. I think you can get probably anything as a taster like these days. I mean, some of the old veggie burgers used to taste like dog food. Terrible. But now, I mean, you've got the Beyond Burger. They taste test it with people who love a regular burger. They prefer the Beyond sometimes. And you can dress any way you want now. Everything has changed. You've got pineapple leather and apple leather and, I mean, all these wonderful things. And people are talking about the environmental destructiveness of animal skins. But people would come to me and say, it's one thing if you want to protect animals in performance. It's one thing if you want to protect animals in terms of clothing, uh, medical experimentation, the whole bunch. But don't tell me what to eat. Oh, I know. Don't tell me what to eat. Well, look, our taste buds, usually for most of us, we've grown up eating meat. As I said, you know, my father and I basically ate our way through the animal kingdom. There are only two (laughs) things that I wouldn't eat. One was tongue, because I'd seen a cow stick it out, and I thought, no, I'm not eating that. And the other was intestines. My father loved intestines, and my mother would cook them, and the house would stink to high heaven. But I do think that people cling to reasons to continue to have the taste they've grown up with and they've come to like. I did. As you know, I didn't want to give up meat. Now, as time has passed, you look back at it, and it's no different than roadkill, except it suffered more. But we've got faux gras instead of foie gras. We have a camembert instead of a camembert. (laughs) (laughs) We have all these things. There's even a caviar that's like caviar. This beef burger substitute, I'm so ecstatic about that idea because fast food companies, they're everywhere. They're everywhere. And you have a chance to eat a vegetarian option at every one of these places that serve that food. I think that's a great, great, great beginning. It's fantastic because only vegans will go to a vegan restaurant unless someone's dragging them there. But if you can go to Denny's, and you can, or you can go to Dunkin' Donuts and get a Beyond Burger, and they're not just selling it on the side. They're advertising it on the board. People are wearing T-shirts saying, try this. And I wonder when the time will come when Beyond Burger or or Impossible Burger will open their own fast food restaurants, which are purely vegetarian. Absolutely. But I have to tell you, Chrissy Hine and I were locked up for protesting leather in New York once, and we went down into, I think they call it the Dungeon of in the jail. The tombs. They, the tombs, that's it. Sure, in Manhattan they, it's called the tombs. Tombs, and they gave us that special sandwich, which was the vegetarian version of the bologna sandwich, which was the sandwich without the bologna. <laughs> you know, Paul McCartney was fooled by his wife. Linda McCartney used to say, I cheated on Paul. And what she meant was he used to love lasagna, and she got these soy crumbles that she made, and she put them in as if they were ground beef, and he never knew the difference. Later, she told him, and they both became vegetarian. They became a vegetarian. I cheated on Paul. She was one of the great proponents. Loved her. She was just an animal's angel, and we still have roses in our garden at the Peter headquarters in Norfolk in her honor, Linda's Roses. And So there's nothing in the animal kingdom, though, even eggs that are freely given, that are free-range eggs, there's nothing in the animal kingdom you think is allowable. You can't I eat I don't anything. think you need it. I do think it's allowable. If you come across an abandoned egg, go for it. If you want to eat roadkill, go for right. it. But I don't think we need it. And this anthropological argument is bogus, you know, because... Richard Leakey is the father of anthropology, Mm -hmm. basically. And he says, hang on, we're primates, like monkeys, chimpanzees, bonobos. 
And the primary diet of a primate is not meat. Some chimpanzees, not gorillas, not, not other, do eat meat. They'll go hunting like a pack of young men. And eat what? And they'll eat uh, maybe a colobus monkey. Mm-hmm. They'll gang up on this monkey like a street gang and mm-hmm. tear them apart limb from uh. limb. But the primate's diet is not meat. And so if we really want to be true, we're not carnivores. We don't have these giant teeth and these claws. We don't hunt at night. We're omnivores. Are there any gradations for you, meaning if people go out and they are especially people who live in a culture where hunting because I'm often asked this question, where hunting is a part of their culture, and they're going to store or cure or freeze that food and eat that food, you're still opposed to that. Or, you know, it, it, it kind of smacks of, are you trying to take our guns away? Are you trying to take our hunting away? <laughs> well, I'd love to take the hunting away. There was a time when hunting was what many people had to do to survive. Right. And just as other animals hunt, some humans had to hunt. I think those times have also largely gone, and most people who hunt today are not just getting one caribou to put it on the table. It does happen. Um, I think being pragmatic is very good. You have to have your head in the sky and your feet on the ground. But these days, I don't really think that we're looking at, say, Aboriginal people somewhere. Maybe they have to. That's fine. Um, But we're looking at, you know... Donald Trump Jr. going out to put a head on his wall. Yeah, that's get, a different story. Right. But talk for a moment, if you would, about uh, what your organization did in terms of circuses and, and the work you did in order to expose circuses. So we went to the Department of Justice, to the Attorney General's office, and we had very carefully, painstakingly documented how Ringling had allowed this lion to burn to death, basically, in the Mojave Desert. Three baby elephants, they killed them in training. One ran from the trainer with the bullhook, went into the pond and drowned. Another one fell off one of those pedestals they used to train them. Another one Three times in a day, when he was deathly ill, they forced him back into the ring. So we went to the DOJ and we said, look, Ringling gets away with this all the time. So that resulted in the biggest fine in U.S. history against a circus. We were relentless with that. And in the end, they just had to give up. But today... We're very happy we got TripAdvisor and Airbnb to say we will not promote any animal acts, any wild animal acts, no sea worlds, no dolphin shows, no elephant rides, nothing. But also we ask people don't go to these places that say we're an elephant camp of orphanage in Thailand or somewhere else in Asia. Rescue. No, those babies are taken, stolen from their mothers. You know, this applies to people that are political figures. This applies to people who are corporate leaders who uh, are, are, are trying to sell a product or a service and make money for their investors. And this applies to people in the NGO world and in the not-for-profit world, and that is the leadership Real leadership, great leadership, is helping people to see something they need to do. Correct. What is the relationship between global warming, climate change, and animal rights? Well, you know, it's totally connected. And there are things that are unpopular to say, perhaps, but they're hard truths. You take Australia. 
And you know that animal-based agriculture with methane, carbon dioxide, that that's contributing to climate change more than anything. United Nations says you could put all the transportation, you know, trains, planes, automobiles, put it in one heap. You still don't equal the damage done by animal-based agriculture. Mm -hmm. It's for food. And, of course, they are stripping the Amazon, burning it. Um, We've seen that so that they can grow soy crops. And people say, oh, well, isn't soy environmentally destructive? Yes, but it's being grown for animal feed. It's the least efficient way of getting food is to grow soy, cut all the habitat down, then grow soy, and then feed it to chickens and pigs and and cows. Mm -hmm. So animal-based agriculture is definitely uh, part of it. Australia, of course, is just one big sheep farm, basically. Plastic pollution, you can stop using straws. You can stop using those small plastic bottles. But really, the biggest polluter in the ocean is discarded fishing gear. It's killing the whales. They are drowning, tangled in crab nets. All the turtles, the dolphins are what they Every call bycatch, right. you know. And they are trawling with these football field-sized nets, taking up every living thing. Mm. And then they discard them. They drop them overboard. That is the biggest polluter. And a lot of those nets are plastic. I'm wondering how you come out on zoos. Are there any kind of animals on display operations that you do uh, support? I think that zoos are changing. Um, The big zoos really understand now that they can't provide the habitat. For example, for elephants, you've got the Detroit Zoo, the wonderful director there. And he said, you know, when the last elephant goes, the last elephant goes. He said, we realize they're so intelligent, they're so complex, there's no way that we can possibly pretend to be looking after their interests. So that sort of evolution is happening because we know so much more behaviorally about animals than we ever did. They can actually tell a herd one or two miles away that there's a threat or that they found water in a drought. And no one can hear it except with instrumentation, except the elephants themselves. And they understand what they're saying. So zoos can't deal with that sort of thing. First, we have to close the roadside zoos. Those are little pits of despair, and you've helped us with that. All the bears that are on cement, turning in circles, banging their heads against the bar, banging their heads. Going insane. You know, going insane. And the same with tigers. And the same with lions. I think we've taken 83 tigers out of those places. And they can now roam in Colorado in these vast enclosures and be looked after. But those have to go. No one should stop the car and go to a roadside zoo. And then let's hope that the other ones evolve. Who's someone that you would cite that you really had an incredibly positive experience in addressing one of your issues? I think there are so many. I'm sure. Because, you know, people are people. And whether they're the head of the corporation or they're out on the street, some care and some don't. And some can have their eyes opened and some won't. Um, The very first one, I think, who really impressed me was the head of Benetton at the time. And later, somebody at Gillette. Both... Uh, issued cosmetics. Benetton had a perfume. Gillette, of course, their whole line is from toothpaste to shampoo and so on. Um, All used animals and experiments. 
And Gillette actually said to us, you have changed our corporate culture. We have a lot of scientists on the PETA staff, and they're in all kinds of disciplines, and they've read every regulation, and they know all the alternatives that they can ever research, and we actually fund alternatives to some things. And they were able to go and meet with these corporations and say, here's a better way to do it. And to their credit, both of those corporations listened, thought it through, and decided Actually, you're right. And it took some doing, but they changed. You've had a lot of success over the years with the fashion industry. Back in, uh, I was invited to a party at Anna Winter's house, and there was a moment where I just was tempted to wear a PETA t-shirt. But you've had tremendous success in converting uh, people in the uh, fashion industry to get off of fur and so forth. What are some of your latest victories there? Well, not Anna. I'd never had any success with her. Mm -hmm. And, of course, actually occupied her office at some point. I, I remember that. Yeah. But um, we've had super success, and now it's really really terrific. We've just disbanded our I'd rather go naked than wear fur Why? campaign because we don't need it anymore. Right. I mean, yes, the Canada goose, you know, has still coyote fur on the trim and so on. But it's these are outliers now. Mm. You've got Galliano, Gucci, Donatella Versace. You can't name a designer. That, the scale is tipped completely in oh, the opposite direction. They just don't Thanks use to it. you. Thanks <laughs> well, to you. We were merciless. Well, you th yeah, you threw a lot of paint on people <laughs> along the way. <laughs> we but, also uh, negotiated, yeah. and we got people to not want it. And I think that was the key. Is as you to say, kill the demand. People have got to go along with it. And the next generation up was not like my generation, and the generation after it, they just thought, I, I really, I'd rather be seen dead than in fur, and they shunned it. And then all these other things came along, and they're not synthetics, they're just natural fibers and fat. Anna Wintour was just um, seen in a Stella McCartney uh, faux fur that you would not mistake for a real fur at all. It's so beautifully crafted and obviously so different, but soft and beautiful and just the epitome of fashion. She looks so much better in it than all those old dead animal things. Do you find that when people are exposed to film, when you show them inside, I did the documentary Meet Your Meat with you guys a while ago, and when you show them the conditions there and how animals go from farm to table, if you will, does it have an effect, do you think, on a critical mass of people, or most people don't care? Well, you know, they say a picture's worth a thousand words. Videos worth much, much more. A lot of people wake up for the first time when they see those images because it's not just you telling them and they have to wonder if that's true. They can actually see it with their own eyes. They might as well be standing there. Of course, there are all the Attila the Hun types, and, and there are people who cling to what they want to continue to do, even when you show them that there's suffering involved in it. You'd have to be a very strong, odd, callous person to say, well, yes, that's what they go through, the fear, they smell the blood, and you know, I've stood on the slaughterhouse floor and all of them are petrified, and then just They go know right what's back. happening. They absolutely know what's happening, and... I was in Taiwan at a dog soup slaughterhouse, and it was the exact same eyes on the dogs who smell it, they hear it. It's in the air to them. Their nostrils are so sensitive as any cow, any chicken, any pig. Yeah, absolutely. Throwing the piglets against the wall, punching the sheep in the face. I, I don't think anything 
makes me more disturbed than seeing that. It's like Abu Ghraib for animals. Mm-hmm. The attitude Abuse. is, I've got you, and now I'm going to show you who's boss. And you think, how small a person you have to be that you think that it builds you up to be so mean and disgusting and cause such pain. It cannot get away from you, cannot escape, and would love to if they could. Um, you see so much domination, bullying, people actually getting their kicks out of a person takes a cinder block and drops it on a crippled sow's head, and they laugh. They just think it's so Mm. funny. Well, uh, you've taught the world a lot. You've taught the world a great deal, and and I hope you're very proud of the work you've done. You're very kind, and as you say, it's taken everybody, 6.5 million members and supporters. When we put out an action alert, we couldn't do it, and as all those people, it pulled a heartstring, and they thought, I'll be part of this solution. But I cry a lot, I fume a lot, and sometimes I do things that are provocative, Uh, just because I can't get someone's attention on an issue that's vitally serious for the animals. But you're right, negotiation and persuasion are usually better than litigation and demonstrations any day. You have a new book out called Animal Kind, Remarkable Discoveries About Animals and the Remarkable Ways We Can Be Kind to Them. This is what book you've written. How many have you written? I've written 12, but this is my favorite, of course, because I really think it speaks to the way people are thinking about animals today. They see those videos, and they have learned so much, and they now think, well, maybe there are some more things I can do. And so two parts, telling you who animals are, how awe-inspiring they are, and the second part is all the things you can do in your daily life. Ingrid Newkirk, a founding figure of the modern animal rights movement. You can learn more about her work at PETA.org, a link to Animal Kind, her new book about animal cognition and psychology, can be found in the show description at heresthething.org. While many of us remain quarantined due to a pandemic purportedly caused by the handling, slaughter, and marketing of animals for food, now might be a good time for you to acquaint yourself with the writing of Ingrid Newkirk. You're listening to Here's the Thing. I'm Alec Baldwin. Hey guys, you know what this playground could use? A wine country, huh? A redwood forest would be cool. Ski slopes! Wait! Did we just invent California? Discover why California is the ultimate playground at visitcalifornia.com. Are you looking for the perfect move-in ready home this spring season? Now's the time to buy at Fisher Homes. For a limited time only, enjoy below market interest rates starting at 5.375% APR, 6.139% APR. With these exclusive lower rates, you can save hundreds on a move-in ready home and start enjoying the benefits of home ownership even faster. Schedule your personal tour with one of our new home specialists at fisherhomes.com and make this spring the season you find your perfect home sweet home. Financing provided by Victory Mortgage, LLC, NMLS 461249, Equal Housing Lender.
Whether you're a savvy spender maximizing your savings with cashback rewards, a thrifty rate watcher seeking the lowest interest, or a travel enthusiast looking for extraordinary perks, Kemba Financial Credit Union has a visa to complement your lifestyle and unique needs. Apply today at Kemba.org to unlock a limited time 2% cashback on purchases and pay 0% interest on balance transfers for an entire year with a new visa from Kemba. You deserve a card that works for you. Restrictions apply. Offer ends June 30th, 2024.